I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. I find that people either assemble a lot of data that then leads to their intuition, or they tap into their intuition and then later use data to confirm what they know. But my next guest has mastered the art of using data and process to make sound decisions. Dominic Rinaldi is owner and managing partner of Sun Acquisitions, a company that helps clients buy and sell businesses across a variety of industries. And since 2005, Dominic has personally been involved in over 300 transactions for businesses and enterprises valuing between two and 50 million. And Dominic gave just some amazing and insightful answers to the following questions, which quite frankly had me take notes. For example, what is the health of the industry due to COVID? Are buyers wanting their companies to do more for their community than in the past? What are the different types of buyers? What is the different personality type between a buyer and a person who wants to run the business? Do sellers experience remorse after the sale? And what should any business owner do to improve the value of their company, whether they plan on selling or not? So here is Dominic Rinaldi from Sun Acquisitions on the business of intuition. So Dominic, I'd love to uh, start off with sort of the big picture on buying and selling businesses. And I know you're an expert in this and have done it for a long time. Is there a different type of personality that seems to say, this is the entrepreneur, they love to run businesses versus this is the person that wants to buy and sell businesses? And I'm curious about what sort of personality differences are there between those two different types of people? Well, you know, I think the best way to answer that question, Dean, is to talk about the different types of buyers. And I think then it becomes obvious uh, you can distill from that, you know, personality traits, or we could dig a little bit deeper. But typically, there are four types of buyers for any, for any business. At the highest end, you're talking about private equity groups. Now, these are professional buyers. They raise money in most cases with the express purpose of going out and acquiring businesses. And they'll acquire platform companies, which are, to say, a company in which they're going to then grow from. And then they'll do add-on acquisitions from the platform. But these are very professional buyers. They typically bring an operator with them or they're looking for management to stay on and continue to operate it. They take majority control, financial buyer. You know, they, they, they're professional, they know what they're doing, and they're making lots of acquisitions with no intent of running the business. They're looking for other people to run the business. Then you have strategic buyers. Strategic buyers are uh, companies who are looking to grow through acquisition. And there's all levels of sophistication here. There are companies that have groups, corporate development groups that do nothing but go out and find companies to go acquire. And then there are smaller businesses 
who just want to grow and it may be the owner that's leading that acquisition and they want to typically pull in a company that is complementary to what they do. So they're not exactly going out and looking for competitors. They may look for competitors in different geographies, but they're more about growing their business through vertical integration and in other ways and adding other revenue streams. Again, pretty sophisticated in many cases and you know, pretty much a financial buyer because they're looking to merge that into the, their operation or leave the existing owner or management team with operating that existing business as a, as a silo. Uh, the next group of buyers are competitors. So the distinction between a, a, a strategic and a competitor is a competitor is simply looking to grow the business by gathering up other competitors. Hmm. Again, they might be sophisticated buyers. They may not be. It, you know, there's all levels of competitors, but you know, they'll, they operate a lot like strategics, except they're really just going out and trying to gobble up market share. And then the last group or what we call high net worth individuals or investor groups. And these are folks generally who are looking to buy a business and also operate it. Mm. They have some amount of money put aside, dedicated to go make an acquisition, and they want to go run that business and grow it and maybe grow it for the long term and then sell it somewhere down the road. And I'll tell you, in a time like this with the pandemic and so many it's senior people losing their jobs, you're going to see more and more of those buyers come out to, to try to acquire businesses. Well, let's talk about that. It's a good segue into what I wanted to ask you about. What is the state of the union right now from your perspective when it comes to buying and selling businesses, whether it's all of those different categories you just mentioned or just a few, but what's the mood out there? What's the vibe out there in terms of how things are going? Are people buying up businesses or are they not? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a tale of two cities. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on one side, you have companies who are reeling. Uh, they're doing everything they can to stay afloat, stay alive, and live to fight another day. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have companies that are doing pretty well. They're holding their own steady or even growing and benefiting from this environment. As a buyer, you've got to sift through, you know, what type of company are you looking at and, you know, does it fit with your acquisition criteria? As far as acquisitions go, there's still a ton of money sitting out there looking to be put to use in the way of acquisitions. Interest rates are still low and the capital markets have remained wide open. So we, our company, our, our mergers and acquisitions firm has stayed very busy. Uh, now, we've had some clients who unfortunately are on the wrong end of the spectrum and they've had to delay or, or push off, you know, any potential exit. While at the other end of the spectrum, we also have clients that are doing very well and their deals are moving forward full speed ahead. And we have tons of buyers. And I'll be illustrative here for one second. We listed a, uh, a medical device, medical sales business a couple of weeks ago probably less than three weeks ago. In under three weeks, we've had over 70 really qualified buyers come forward uh, and express interest in acquiring that business. Wow. So there, you know, there's a clear indication that the market is still uh, very active. So how much of that is because of the market and how much of that is because medical is hot right now? 
Yeah, look, it, it certainly it's got a lot to do with medical, right? I mean, this business, this medical business has continued to do well, but that goes back to my point earlier. Buyers are now going to spend time uh, looking at deals that uh, are, are healthy and making their way through this. There are also buyers, by the way, for distressed businesses. There's plenty of buyers out there that are always looking to pick up an asset on the cheap. You know, uh, an owner might, um, you know, be caught up in a lot of debt and not have any other way out than to sell their business. And there's always buyers for assets like that. So are you finding that there's different approaches or are people becoming more creative or are they approaching their buying and selling in, in ways that they didn't before? I, the reason why I'm trying to get my arms around what you're saying and find the right question for it, but I was listening to somebody else who was talking about a book that they just read around how innovation right now is going to be so, so important. And I think it was Circle K that was now setting up a relationship with Uber and now they're just killing it on sending out basic food needs to people and their revenues going quite well. So they, they found a way to pivot in a rather remarkable way when they're doing really well in that. Is, is there some of that happening in your industry where there's some real innovative thinking going on that maybe wasn't there before? Without a doubt. I mean, we've got some clients that are being forced to pivot. We, as a matter of fact, just yesterday spoke to an events company, uh, live events. They're in the business of producing live events. Hmm. As you can imagine, nobody's putting on live events right now, right? Right. right. <laughs> so they've had to completely pivot and they found themselves now producing virtual events for companies. And so there's an example of a, of a complete pivot. But if you're a buyer looking at all of this, it's forcing you to have to do way more due diligence, right? You have to be way more cautious as you go out into the marketplace right now and look to make acquisitions. You're going to do more diligence on the company and the industry and the forecast and what's going to happen. And it may be that you as a buyer have a stomach and an appetite for distressed businesses because you can see a potential pivot and a company has built the foundation and you can take it to the next level on the pivot. So there are buyers for just about every business. Hmm. It, it, and it just depends on your level of knowledge and comfort with whatever situation you're walking into. So if I'm listening to this right now and I have a business that I want to sell, what is your advice to help me make my offer attractive given our situation? I, I would take a step back, Dean. My advice to people who are thinking about selling is always the same, COVID crisis, non-COVID crisis. And I approach it from a, a philosophy of there are three legs in the stool. And the first leg is, are you financially ready to leave your business? So what I mean by that is, do you have enough money put aside with or without the sale of your business to go do the next thing, whatever the next thing is, retirement, start another business, travel, doesn't matter. If you do have enough money, then getting to the next step is a lot easier. If you don't have enough money, then you need to understand how much money you need from the sale of your business mm. in order to be financially ready. 
which then leads you into the second leg of the stool, which is, is your business ready? And when you look at a business, um, yes, there's the value of the business, but there are also things called value drivers. These are the things that buyers covet. And how is your business doing on and scoring on all of these different value drivers? And is there a possibility to improve some of those value drivers, which then in turn increase the value of your business and help you get to your goal if you need to? And then you have the last leg of the stool, which is, are you emotionally ready? And I will tell you so many people overlook this. And the emotional readiness is, what are you going to go do after you sell your business? Are you really ready to walk away? I was at a conference a couple of years ago, and the, the folks that ran the conference had done a straw poll of, of uh, business owners that had sold their business, and this statistic was startling to me. Over 75% of people who sold their business were remorseful, and their remorse wow. had nothing to do with how much money they got for the business and had everything to do with they didn't have the next thing in life to go focus on, so they were remorseful. And so whenever I talk to people, I talk to people about these three legs of the stool, and I don't care if we're in a crisis or we're not in a crisis, you need to look at these three things. And unless the house is on fire and you have to get out under any circumstance, you need to look at these three things, which means you need to prepare. And Dean, I tell you, in my several decades of doing this and having been personally involved in over 300 M&A transactions, the number one thing that buyers and sellers fail to do is prepare for their sale or acquisition. Uh, so... That's a fantastic point that you made. I love, there's two things I was writing down as you were talking about, but one of them was just this idea about being remorseful and the emotional, uh, you know, cost of selling your business. And I'm finding that in our work, because we do a lot of strategic planning and we work with small businesses and most of them very large, but we do get into the smaller mom and pop organizations who we can talk to the owner and the family. And it seems what you just said is absolutely right on. And they're already beginning to feel the grief before they even you know, collect the check. It's like mm-hmm. they're going into retirement. They're seeing their kids go off to school. There goes my business. And, and I'm wondering, do you work with your clients on that sort of emotional preparation? I mean, yes, everything makes sense. The, the drivers you just talked about, it all fits. You were a perfect candidate to sell your business, but the thing that's holding us back on this deal is that you can't let go. How do you help somebody get over that emotional hump? Uh, Dean, you're a great straight man. Um, In fact, (laughs) after several decades of doing this and being frustrated to see that clients didn't maximize the value and minimize their risks, we launched a new business earlier this year called K2 Advisor. K, the number two, an advisor, an advisor is with an E. And the sole purpose of that business is to help buyers and sellers prepare for these exits and these acquisitions. We've assembled some tremendous tools and and tons of content over the years that we've been doing this. So we know where the common pitfalls are. So we're equipped to work with people, you know, a couple of years, years, six months in advance so that they can really put the pieces together. And I'll tell you, even when I meet business owners and and buyers, 
and they tell me where they're they've prepared and then we go through what they've actually done invariably they haven't really prepared they've done 20 30 percent of all the things they need to think about i love this dominic you guys have got some great stuff here so my next question is i i can only guess or assume that the process that you take people through to get ready for selling their business, that even if a company wasn't going to sell, it would make the business stronger. Meaning that there are certain bedrock principles that people don't even think about, but only do when they know they need to sell. So do you ever work with companies who have no intention of selling, but they want to pretend that if they did, these are the things that I would need to do. And so going through that process, my company becomes stronger. Absolutely. Dean, you hit the nail on the head. You should be running your business every day as though you had to sell it tomorrow. And here's why. Life happens to all of us. As much as we plan, we know that life has a way of unfolding in ways we would have never thought possible. And so an exit from your business may be at a date of your choosing and it may be at a date not of your choosing. And if that date comes along that wasn't at your choosing, you want your business to be ready. And so I always talk to owners about preparing from the day they buy a business. And I know that sounds crazy, but from the day you buy a business, you should understand at least the elements of what maximizes value and what minimizes risks. And you may not implement all of those things day one because you're too busy building your business, but you should at least be educated from day one. So as you move forward and you make decisions, you're making them from the basis of, is this truly increasing the value of my business? And is it maximizing my return or is this in some way going to take away uh, from what I do? And let me give you just one example of this. Most business owners that we deal with, and by the way, our marketplaces, businesses that largely do $50 million or less in annual revenues, most of the owners that we meet have not been able to extract themselves from the day-to-day -day business. They are very much a part of the business. Major decisions have to go through them. There may be, in many cases, even still the primary salesperson for a lot of the major accounts. One sure way to reduce the value, decrease the value of your business, is to be a cog in the wheel. The more you can remove yourself from the operations of the business, the more valuable your business is to mm. anybody who's going to show up and want to buy it. And so it's a hard thing for owners to, to you know, reconcile. But when we work with them, we show them the things they can do to remove themselves. And, oh, by the way, the folks that we talk to about this, not only do they wind up having a more valuable business, but they wind up being way happier. They found all sorts of time to go do other things in their life an amazing thing also happens. Their business somehow or another becomes even more profitable. Amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. The irony abounds. I love it. <laughs> All right. So is there a shift in, in how we are valuing businesses? What I'm getting to is I was just on an interview a couple of days ago with a gentleman out of the University of Washington, and he's got a book out that we were talking about. 
And his perspective is that we're going from a growth mindset, which I have noticed in my larger organization seems to be what you find on the walls within break rooms and so forth is we have to have a growth mindset. And it's really kind of that go-to attitude. We got to continue to increase the value of the company, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that we get more of our our products to market, make sure that we serve more clients. It's the thing that we kind of understand and, and have been involved in for a long time. His perspective is that we're because of all sorts of things, COVID might be a part of it, but there's a slow shift towards a purpose mindset that we're now talking about being socially responsible. You know, we're now thinking about companies that are really serving the community. You know, is there a movement in your world towards that? And if so, how is it influencing the way people buy and sell? Is it just on dollars and cents? Are we also looking at mission and purpose? Yeah, I think it's too soon in this crisis uh, for me to provide you know any sort of educated opinion. I, I haven't seen any um, major shifts yet, but you see all the major companies shifting, and we know what big companies do typically, right? When they when they uh, start to embrace something it typically trickles down to their vendors and suppliers, right? And so you certainly can see where there will be a shift if this change sticks. And I certainly hope that a lot of these changes stick. Uh, You'll see see a shift uh, with smaller businesses. But we're too soon into this to to really know. I I haven't seen any evidence to, to indicate that's happening. Would you, would you find a buyer who says, Dominic, I want to buy this business. I'm not really that interested in the money that it will generate. I just like the purpose and the mission that it's doing for the community. I want Never. to do something for my community. This business is doing it. If it's break even, I'm fine. I don't need a 20% ROI on this. I just want to do good. Are you finding more buyers showing up with that perspective? No, not at all. Not yet. Okay. Not at all. Yeah. Got it. And it might be a not yet. Yeah, uh, it might be a not yet, but no. Um, and and I have a hard time seeing that because a lot of the buyers that we work with, private equity groups and strategics, have responsibilities to investors, and investors have put their money into these for a return. And I, I have a hard time seeing that uh, they're going to accept investments that have no known return, right? I, I, I can't imagine we'll get to that point. Now, will people do things inside of those businesses to give back and be good corporate citizens? I hope so. But I don't see somebody coming forward with that express intent of buying something with, you know, no, no intended return. Understood. Understood. So going back to something you said before, and I want to see what other things you might come out of this, you said that one of the ways that you can really increase the value of your business is to take yourself out of the cog, out of the equation, if you're the owner and the operator. And if you can do that, that obviously makes your business more more valuable. What other things can those owner operators do, aside from finding ways to take themselves out of the system? to increase the value of their business should and when they want to sell it? You know, the, the list is so long, there's no way we could possibly right. go through it. But, 
you know, to get, throw out some other examples, uh, one would be understanding where your business is coming from and what percentage each client represents of your total revenues. The term that we use for it is client concentration. And so when any one client represents more than 10% of your company's revenues, there's some jeopardy there, right? Mm. Uh, depending on how much margin they're contributing to the bottom line, if you were to lose that one client, there could be some real jeopardy to the overall business. And so the best run, most valuable businesses do everything they can to reduce the reliance on any one client. And uh, when we come across these situations, we'll work with the owners to help them understand, you know, that what the issue is, the impact to the value, and then maybe strategies and ways for them to diversify their client base so they can minimize their reliance on those uh, clients that, that are doing the largest percentage of revenue. That's great. Good. Is there one other thing that you would suggest that people really keep in mind of? Like, I love the idea of like, make sure you don't put all your eggs in one basket. I, yeah. My word's not yours. You know? yeah. And then also take yourself out of the equation. Is there a third thing that we should remember? You know, I'd say um, th there are so many that are so important, but the other one that comes to mind right now is recurring revenue. The more that you can build a business that has recurring revenue, and insurance is really, you know, sort of the easy example here, but there are so many others, right? Software companies, but where you can build a business where, you know, money is going to come in every month or every, whatever it is and whatever frequency, and you know, it's going to be there and you don't need to take any actions other than to deliver good service on an ongoing basis. You don't need to take any actions to go resell that client. They are a client and they're generating recurring revenues. You can build not even just a whole business. If you could just build a portion of your business that has recurring revenue, you have increased the value of your business in some cases dramatically. And I will tell you that there are lots of business owners out there that think they can't incorporate a recurring revenue model into their business. I would challenge them to think about that further and maybe even put together an advisory council to maybe help them think about this issue. Mm. And I think they'd be amazed at some of the ideas that come out from people that are outside of their world that looking in that can maybe give them some ideas and thoughts on how to build that, that recurring revenue stream. So different than a board of directors and advisory council. Yeah. An advisory council. And we, you know, we do a lot of this work ourselves, you know, we'll, will counsel with clients on, you know, how can they build and incorporate a, re you know, recurring revenue stream into their business. That's great. But Dominic, this is great stuff. I took down some notes of hopefully people who are listening to this as well uh, can glean some good things. What can people do to learn more about what you do? You'd mentioned the, the K2 advisor, but you also, I think you have a couple of assessments that people can take. Could you tee us up as to how we can stay in contact with you, but also how can we learn some of the things that you talked about? Yeah, thanks, Dean. I appreciate that. So I mentioned our new business, K2 Advisor, and um, I would point anybody listening who's interested to that website. It's K2 Advisor, again, with an E, A-D-V-I-S-E-R.com. And uh, on that site, you'll see three major tabs one for people who are thinking about a potential exit. And again, that can, you could be many years away, but you, you, know, you should always be thinking about that. 
There's another one for acquire and people who want to maybe look at growing through acquisition. Uh, and then there's a, a third one about scaling. So how do you scale your existing business? Our podcast, m and Unplugged, also resides on that website. But our mission, Dean, is to help people prepare. I, I want to see that people are maximizing their returns and minimizing their risks. I'm, I've made it my life's mission to help people achieve that. And so towards that end, we've built two assessments that you've referenced. The, the first assef- assessment on that website is on the exit tab, and that's for anybody who's looking to exit. It's a quick seven-minute assessment. It'll give them a score between zero and 100, and we'll, we'll email the full results to them. They'll even get an ebook with it. So they'll really get some great content and really understand how ready they are. And then under the acquire tab, there's a similar assessment for anybody looking to acquire. Again, they'll get an immediate score. We'll email all the results and an ebook to them uh, so they can understand what the common pitfalls are. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has really been fascinating. It's got my, uh, my mind beginning to spin and coming up with thoughts and ideas. I really appreciate your time. Dean, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.